Father, we love you and we worship you and we thank you for this moment that we have together. I thank you, Father, that it, as we share your word tonight, I thank you, Father, that we see it in, in great new ways. I thank you that our eyes are open. I thank you that our heart is good ground. Our ears, Father, are unplugged and ready to hear by your spirit. I thank you, Father, that as we put your word to practice in our life, we will be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Aren't you glad to come to church on Wednesday? That's good stuff. It's warm outside and cold in here, so that's great. If you want to start looking around or uh, going toward where we're going to be tonight, it's in Matthew chapter 22. And we're going to go on that uh, third part of this message at that time. And the, the, if you want to go back, and many of you, I, I don't know if any, you know, we've been doing this. This is the third week that we've been on this. So if you weren't here the first or second week, I'll give you like a little five-minute catch-up. But the first, not catch-up. Because <laughs> anyway, I'll give you a little preview or review. How about that? A little review. But uh, yeah, I got McDonald's on the mind. I'm telling you, you know, you have to get an English muffin, and you have to get a grape jelly, and there has to be a pepper, and a salt and pepper, yeah. And a strawberry jelly, sorry, strawberry jelly. And sometimes they keep the straw, no, that's Christos. They keep the black raspberry stuff behind the counter, so you have to, we're all trained. When, when you go with her, you know exactly. She never orders off any menu. She makes up what she wants where she goes. And because she blesses everybody, she gets to have whatever she wants to have, wherever she goes. The first week we talked, when we were talking about at that time, we, we began to make this distinction between, between what we see now today when we read the Word and, and maybe what the people who were during that time in the New Testament, what they were really seeing and understanding and the perspective that they had. Because at that point, none of this that Jesus was talking about in, in Matthew through John, all of these, these, these workings of miracles and, and all of these new ideas and these new thoughts, and they had a law and they had a system and they, it was rigid and, they, and there were only certain people who could do certain things. And the, 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 the religious part of all of this wasn't for the every man. It was only for certain people. And Jesus came in and he just, he broke that mold and he began to tell people that, listen, I have come to bring life. I have come to bring light and joy and truth. I'm going to give you my peace. I'm going to give you my joy. And then he began to talk to them about loving their enemies and all of these different things. And it just blew these people's minds. They didn't have any idea like what is going on. But something on the inside of them began to tell them that it was true. Because as this time progressed, Jesus began to have followers. He began to have people who came after him. And Jesus said in John 14, he said that I am the light that has come into the world. I have come in. Sorry, it's John 12, 46. And it says, I have come in as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And during that first message the title was follow the light and and the at that time is god's going to be speaking to you like at mcdonald's in the drive-thru and that's not going to make any sense to you where you are but listen what jesus was speaking to the people at this time in the chapters that we used there were matthew 5 6 and 7 where it was the sermon on the mount the things that he talked about then didn't make sense to those people either but the people who reached out, and that was the second message, the people who reached out in faith and grabbed hold of what Jesus said and began to live like Jesus said, they began to see things happen in their life. 
And it's no different for us. We live in a different time. We live in the year 2013. We have the Bible here before us and not just the Word of God written, but we also have the Holy Spirit alive on the inside of us. So it's not just the fact that we get to see what had happened. I'm telling you, you can't rest on what happened last week, last month, last year. You believe something differently today than you did six months ago, a year ago, two years ago. God has brought you to a place. And each time he brings you to a place and he begins to talk to you about new wisdom and revelation, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's beyond where you are. It's beyond what you know. It's beyond what you've done. It's beyond what you can do. And so you have to begin to reach out in faith and start to take hold of that. I said at one point, you know, a lot of you probably didn't come into a church the very first day and get saved that day. You know, there was a, a process of you hearing the truth and the truth somehow on the inside of you starting to go, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't get that. Just like Nicodemus, right? How could I be born two times? I mean, I've already been born once. It doesn't work twice. I don't get that. But there was something about what Jesus said that caused Nicodemus to continue to follow him. And maybe you came into a church like this or a church somewhere else or you were in somebody's Bible study somewhere. They began to talk to you about that truth of salvation, the gospel. They began to tell you that Jesus came into this earth through a virgin birth. Whoa, 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 go back. No, no, we have time. We've got to go forward. And then, you know, like he came and he died on the cross and, and he did it. To, he shed his blood for you so that your life could be different and it could be changed and you could be adopted into his household. And then they begin to talk to you about salvation and being born again and saying this prayer. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. But then three weeks later, six weeks later, all of a sudden it just it would never leave you. It was right. It was true. It was warm. It was something on the inside. Your spirit, man, was starting to stir on the inside. And you said, I, 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 you crossed that line. Reached out in faith and there was action on your part and you grabbed hold of salvation. From that time on, there are going to be moments like that for the believer. If we want to continue to grow in him, there are going to be moments like that as we go. And we're going to have to release our faith. We're going to have to stretch out there and grab hold of it. We used the rich young ruler last week because the rich young ruler came to Jesus with the same question that Nicodemus did in John chapter 3. The rich young ruler came to him, fell on his knees before Jesus and said, tell me how must I be saved? Tell me about everlasting life. I want that. And Jesus told him, you need to, do, you need to live the law, man. You, need, you know what it says. And he said, I've been doing that my whole life. What else is there? And then you start asking God for more, and he'll start shining the light in your darkness. The light that comes in your darkness, you're going to do one of two things. You're going to see it, and you're going to go toward that light, or you're going to put the covers over your head like your teenagers do when it's time for school. And they're going to cover it up. Why? Because that light hurts your eyes until you're used to it. And so when he asked that question, the rich young ruler, he took the light and he shined it on his life. And he said, you need to get rid of all the stuff that you have. Sell it and get rid of it and give it away and then come and follow me. And he said, I can't do that. And that's where too many believers are in their life. Like he begins to tell you something and you're like, not like, oh God, how can that happen? Oh God, show me a way for that to work. That's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Oh God, make a way, confirm your word to me. I want to be a part of that. I'm not sure how. I don't understand it. But you know what? I'm not worried about the unexplainable. I want to deal with the undeniable. You, you are real. You are true. And I, I want that. If that's what it is, then you show me how. It's not what he said. He put his head down and he turned around and he walked away. Because it says that he had so many things and was attached to those things. 
Then there was another guy who was blind in John, in chapter 8, I think, and we talked about that on last, on last week too. And he did receive his sight. And then the people began to tell him that he didn't. And we said, if you reach hold of something by faith, how many of you know, you went home and told people you got saved and they said, you're nuts. You went home and told people, I was filled with the Holy Ghost, man. They say, you're crazy. I was healed, I'm telling you. And they're like, no way. You gotta get out of there, they're a cult. You know, I mean, they'll tell you all kinds of things. When, you st- when your life starts changing, they're gonna be saying, what are they, what's the matter? Are you drinking the Kool-Aid over there? What's, what's going on? We don't wanna, be careful. See, people always say that. Why? Because it's easier for them to believe that, that, that it can't happen than that it can. And when this blind guy got healed, his eyes were like wide open, and he knew it. He was blind since birth. His family, his friends, the whole neighborhood, the community, they all knew he was blind. He went, washed in the water like Jesus said. He came back. He could see. And the rulers, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees said, that's impossible, Whatever, dude, I can see. That's what he said. They kept telling him, it's impossible. Because the word or the law said that there couldn't be anything done on the Sabbath, and it was the Sabbath, and there was a healing done on the Sabbath. And since there was a healing on the Sabbath, and you couldn't do anything on the Sabbath, then therefore there wasn't a healing. Now, this guy could have said, oh, you know what? You're right. That isn't right. Now, it doesn't say that this happened, and this is maybe just us just thinking, you know, but he could begin to go down that path. Like, oh, well, maybe I, maybe I didn't get healed. You know, it is, kind of, it is kind of fuzzy. It's not as clear as I thought. That's how believers get set free and then end up back in bondage. They listen to the voice that tells them that they're not free instead of listening to the voice on the inside of them, instead of going with what they experienced, because what you experience on the inside of you is undeniable. That dude knew he could see. Now, he could have talked himself out of it. I I don't know. How many of you have talked your way out of things that God wanted to bless you with? It had to make sense to you. It had to fall into your categories. It It had to work your way. And since it didn't, it couldn't be. And then we missed a blessing somehow. That happened. But this guy hung on to it. And he said, you know what? I, I, I don't care what these people say. I don't care if you excommunicate me from the whole deal. And they did. They like booted him out of the whole thing. And then when they booted him out, you know what the best thing that happened? He, he ran into Jesus on the side of the road. And, he, and the guy said, do you want to be saved? He said, how's that happen? And he said, just believe in me. And he said, I believe. So now, not only can I see, now I'm going to have everlasting life too. And I'm going to follow you. New ideas, new thoughts, new things. And yet we have a a little bit of a tendency to not necessarily be like the blind man, but sometimes be more like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And we have to be careful. Sadducees, you know why they're sad, right? Because they didn't believe in the resurrection. They're sad, you see. Anyway, that's... Old preacher jokes, not a good one. But uh, you may not think that you've played games with God. But if you would be honest with yourself, maybe you have. I have. I've gone around that mountain five, six, seven times before I finally said, okay, God. That's, 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 I'm playing games with God. 
I'm, I'm, I'm holding something hostage. I mean, I feel like I'm holding something hostage. I'm so, okay, God, I've, tell me. Give me a new word. Same word. Don't like that one. So we begin, to, we, begin to play, we begin to play games with God. We begin to, to, to start making deals. Your relationship with God, this is that second, this is the last part that says it's not a game. At that, at that time, it's not a game. And your relationship with Jesus, it's not let's make a deal. But you know as well as I do that, 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 that we've lived that in our life. There have been lots of times where we said, oh God, if you get me out of this, I promise I will, I will move to Botswana and I will give up everything I have and I'll be a missionary for you if you'll just get me out of this legal situation. And then somehow, someway, God comes through and you say, thank you, God. Someday I'll do that. Right? God, if you let me pee on this stick and it says that I'm not pregnant, I will become a nun and I will not, there's no greater prayer. I become a nun. I'll never look at boys again. I, I, will, I will dress in real armor. I will lock myself up. See, you don't, you don't get any more religious than when you're in, in some great dire need. And we begin to bargain with God. I'll come to church, like, all the time. I'll clean the windows, I'll clean the cars, I'll, clean, I'll do whatever you want, God, but please, just, just get me out of this jam. He just wants us to have relationship with him. You can't bribe him. It doesn't work that way. Ultimately, it's about control. I'm going to preach a series, and I talked about it a while back, but uh, uh, it's becoming more and more clear as as time kind of progresses, called the crazy train. Talking about control and bitterness and offense, addiction, comparison, insecurity. Those are all those things that, that pop up in people's lives that, that make them crazy. People who, 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 are, who are bitter about something. Man, it, makes, it just makes them do irrational stuff in their life. And you're trying to figure out why are they so irrational? Well, there's a bitter root somewhere that's hidden. You know, this, uh, this person, you know, it's like, man, what is, what's, uh, what's going on with this person? Why, why, do they, why are they like that? Well, then you've got to go back and say, oh, there's an offense that's tied to that. You know, and there's these roots and these things and these problems. But ultimately, as we begin to make deals with God, it's because we want control. We want control of that moment or that time. When God says, and, you know, at this time, give to that person behind you at McDonald's, and you look in the thing, and you say, I don't think they deserve that. I don't have time right now. I don't have any money. I don't have, there's 50 reasons why you won't. And we begin to make deals with God. But you don't know what that means to the person behind you, or like Pastor Pam said, the person in the window, or what that means to you in your life. And we used my friend Terry Henshaw as an example last, last week of the rich young ruler. And this was a man who had a business, and he grew it into this big thing out in Tulsa. And, and, and it, was a, it was putt-putts and arcades and, and batting cages and all this stuff. And what he started with nickels and dimes and pennies and sweat and tears and blood, built it into this big business, and God told him, sell it and sow it. Not sell it and keep it, 
Not sell it, and he said, sell it and sow it. So his partners gave him all the money, and then he gave it all away. And then God said, just come follow me and help. He ended up in Russia, ended up in Prague. He ended up all over the place. Now he's going all over the country in this gigantic tent with his family and went in, won over 100,000 people to the Lord so far in the last three or four or five years. But had he not sold it and sowed it, would he have ever gotten to this, this place? Oh, God, just give me another year. If you give me another, see, we play games, right? We make deals. If you give me another year, just another year, I'll be able to get to a point where my, my kids will be a certain whatever, or I'll reach a certain status at work, or, or I'll be able to, to get here. I can be your, see, it's you. The deal you're making with God isn't necessarily not doing it. It's doing it your way. Control. And in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 22, there's three stories here. Nobody likes a user. You got people in your life who only come around, they use you. They only come around for certain things. Well, sometimes believers can be like that. It's none of you. It's the people who come on Sundays who aren't here today. So we'll just, we'll bl- you know, we're going to charge you up to come in here this Sunday and get it going on. Elizabeth has a word this Sunday you can't miss. You have to be here. Uh, it is good. Goes along with the one that we preached on Sunday. But this is, this is three situations where, where people, people in the New Testament were always trying to trick, trap, entrench Jesus in some kind of argument. We said last week, faith isn't about arguing. Faith is about believing. And it's about believing what God said, not just arguing with the people who are around you who don't believe like you, but don't argue with God either. I wouldn't argue with God. Well, we just talked about 16 examples where we weren't having an argument like raising our voice, but we play games and try to make deals. There's not much difference. But here as it goes on in verse 15, it says that the Pharisees went ahead and they plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. They were always out, man, to play this game. They were always out to try to catch him. They were always out to try to entangle him and try to ensnare him. And, and, and we're not necessarily trying to bring Jesus down. We're just, we're just trying sometimes to get our way. We're not necessarily like the Pharisees and the Sadducees here trying to find a way to trip him up so that we can have a legal ground to stand on to kill him. But we're just trying to really like, hey, I'm hustling just trying to get my way. Or I'm hustling not to have to do it like that. You know, it's the old, the old preacher thing. The guy said, Jesus told me to give away a suit, right? And so he, 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 he liked that suit. And so he gave somebody another suit. And God told him, no, no, I told you to give him that suit that you were wearing. He said, oh, okay. So he gave him another suit. And God told him again, I know I told you to give him that suit. And so he gave him another suit. And finally God said, I, hey, give him that suit. He said, I've given him three suits. I've, I've done what you've told me. He said, no, I told him to give him the one you got. The one you're wearing. So he went and he gave him that one, then God stopped telling him to give the suit. Just do what God said. Don't try to do it your way, right? I mean, he'll, he'll, he'll tell you. But anyway, I digress all over. Just hang on. Something will stick. And it says, they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and you teach the way of God in truth. Now, see, I got those contacts on again, so it's going to get interesting. You got that up there? There we go. Oh, that's much better. Teacher, we know that you are true, and you teach the way of God in truth, nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. 
And it goes on after that. It says, tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And what they're trying to do is entrap Jesus. And if he says yes to pay to Caesar, then he's going he's to risk losing all the followers that he has. And if he says no to that, then he's going to tick off the government people. And it wasn't just about money. It was about this issue of where your heart lies. You know, it was this issue of says, well, where, 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 where do you draw the line? You got two people here who are asking you this question, and you're going you're gonna to hit one of them right and one of them wrong. But how many of you know, you come to him with some of the wildest and craziest questions they did in the Bible all the time, and Jesus always had the perfect answer. If you'll get quiet and ask him that question, because the Bible does say we need to come and we need to ask, but it's the heart attitude that determines how that answer comes. They were coming to Jesus to ask to mess him up. Sometimes we come to Jesus to ask to get our way, and so we ask amiss. And so Jesus goes on here and he says, he looks at him and he says, you know, he's saying in verse 17, tell us therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus perceived their wickedness. He knows everything. Do you think you're fooling God? I mean, do we really think we're, do we really think we're pulling one over on him? You know? He says, why do you test me, you hypocrite? Show me the tax money. And they brought him the denarii. And he said to them, whose image and inscription is on this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar's the things that are his and to God the things that are God's. And in verse 22, just like when we talked the very first week in chapter 7, when we talked about the, the, the firm foundation in the rock and at the end of that sermon on the mount it says that they were amazed and astonished at the way that he taught because he taught with so much authority it was words they'd never heard before but it was with such authority and there was a command by the spirit of god and it touched them and it amazed them and see if you go to this place right here now in, in matthew and 22 a little later in the book these guys come to him and they think we've got him Right? We got the yeas and the nays right here, and one of us is going to catch him. They were always out to catch him. And then Jesus responded with the right answer. And in verse 22, it says, And when they had heard these words, they marveled, and they left them and went their way. The next group are the Sadducees. Verse 23, the same day the Sadducees, who say that there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him. Now they began to dream up this scenario that could never happen. This is somewhat like the Gideon situation back in Judges chapter 6. Old Testament is different confirmation than it is New Testament. We have the Holy Spirit alive in our life in the New Testament. So this thing that says, as a New Testament believer, Oh God, just make there be an arrow in the sky that points to the place that I'm supposed to go. That's a fleece. That's not, you're not following after the Spirit of God so much. Oh God, give me confirmation by your Spirit that I may know where to go. That's different. Gideon was a little bit more of a fleece guy. We have a tendency to work up these incredibly impossible scenarios. And we say, God, if all of these things happen, then you'll get my attention. Then I'll do it. 
And they came to Jesus and they, they had this thing like, okay, if this lady gets married and her husband dies and then she gets married again and that guy dies and then she gets married again to his other brother and he dies and all of these brothers get married to the same lady, then in the resurrection, well, hold on, you guys don't even believe in the resurrection. What they're trying to get him to do is to talk about something that's going to discredit the resurrection, not this, not this thing. See, sometimes we, we start sending God down these paths that, that don't have anything to do with what we really don't want to do. We try to get him hooked up on all these things that we do want to do. And so we send him down all of these paths, hoping he forgets about the first one. But Jesus, again, in the end, after all of this is said, he said, I'll ask you one thing, which if you can tell me this, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. And he said, the baptism of John, was it of men or was it from heaven? And that's saying, oh, I'm, I've jumped the page. Sorry, I'm like, that's not even the right story. I'm like, that's, that's not even true. Somehow the air blew my page over. And then when it was all said and done, he said, but concerning the resurrection of the dead, you have not read what was spoken to you by God saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God, nor the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, what happened? They were astonished at his teaching. They were, again, astonished at the fact that he could answer a question. Listen, there are a lot of things we don't know the answer to, but that doesn't mean there's not an answer. See, there are, there, there are, there are a lot of things that are happening that we can't explain, but that doesn't mean that God can't be behind the unexplainable. How could a guy be blind one moment put mud on his eyes, and be able to see the next day. And then maybe some other guy goes to that same place, puts a little mud on there, washes him. He doesn't become, why? I don't have answers to those things. There are some things that you're not going to have answers to, but realize this, he has answers. And no matter how wild our questions can be at some time, if they're, if they're asked with the right attitude, it says that he hears us. And that we know that he hears us. And that we have those things that we have petitioned or that we have asked. The third part of this in all of these tests are the scribes. And now they've come to really push his buttons. And now they've come to test his patience. And I'm not saying today that you're here and you're trying to test God's patience. But I would tell you this. If you have gone down this road and been around this mountain a bunch of times and been in and out of here depending on your situation, whether or not you were in trouble and you needed God so you ran to the church, whether you prayed a whole lot harder because I'm not saying don't pray harder when you're in trouble, but you didn't pray at all when you weren't in trouble. You know, if you've gone down this path and said, I'm not going to do that, God, until this particular thing happens over here, you say, God, I'm not going to be that direction that way. Listen, you're pushing the patience of his presence. You're pushing, you I mean, this guy comes to him now and finally says to him, listen, he says, what is really the greatest commandment of them all? Because this guy, now he's a scribe, he's a teacher, he understands and he knows. And so he knows the laws. And so whatever one that Jesus picks, he's going to be able to tell him why that isn't the best one or the greatest one. He knows it all, inside and out. And what does Jesus do? He responds with something completely different, something that's not necessarily the Ten Commandments written in a row, 
And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the laws of the prophets. And then he said, listen. (laughs) And he turned it around on him, and he started talking about David. And he, he, see, he shines the light right into the face of darkness. If you remember in the beginning of this, he said, I perceive your wicked ways and your evilness. I know what you're doing. And he went through these particular times when they were testing him and trying him and asking him these questions. And then he turned around finally in the end, and he told them flat out, straight up, look, this is going to cause you issues. What about this? And they all went, "Uh, I don't know. And then it says they went away from him at that time, at the end of that chapter, they went away and they never came back and questioned him anymore. I'm telling you, what God does on the inside of you is undeniable. When you hit that moment, when you're at that spot, when it is that time, and you follow the light and you reach out in faith, I mean, you grab hold, you don't play games with him, but you just go after it with all your heart. I'm telling you, something happens on the inside of you and it's undeniable. And that's what takes you from step two to step three. And then God's talking to you about step four. He's talking to you about step five. But you got to grab hold of step two first. And that takes you to that place. It does say in the word that we're supposed to ask. But we have to ask correctly. These guys were all asking to mess Jesus up. Sometimes we come and we ask to help ourselves out. We don't come with that heart that says, Oh, great God, the maker of heaven and earth, I bow before you today in your presence, and I commit my whole being to you. I don't hold anything back, and I humbly, I humbly lay or kneel at this altar, and I ask of you today to lead me and to guide me in the way that I should go. I ask you today to strengthen me, to become all you've created me to be. I ask you today to confirm your word as I walk down the street each day, whom I'm supposed to take care of, whom I'm supposed to give to, whom I'm supposed to touch. It's all about him. See, we're, at, we're asking according to his will. Because it says in Matthew, in chapter 7, ask, seek, knock. If you ask, it'll be opened to you. If you'll seek, you'll find it. If you knock, the door will be open. I mean, it says that. In James chapter 1, it says, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. The God who gives to each one of us liberally, without reproach, it means he doesn't hold anything against you. You come down and lay on your face before God and say, God, I love you and I commit my whole self to you. You are mighty. You are great. You deserve all the praise and the honor and the glory. Today, God, I ask you for wisdom in my life. I have to make decisions, and I don't know what to do. I am at that moment. I am at that time. Do you know how many calls we get at the church who, who, who are from people who are at that time? 
Now, we're here to pray. That's what the church is. We're going to encourage you and pray with you. But we don't have magic powers to sprinkle over you. That'd be great if we did, wouldn't it? We'd have lines out the door, man. It doesn't work that way. You got to do it. It says, if any man lack, I, I, you, I can pray for wisdom for you. But it doesn't say if any man lacks wisdom, let him come and ask the pastor. And the pastor will pray for him to have wisdom, and then wisdom will be given to him. The word says that if any man lacks wisdom, let him come to me and ask. And I will give to him. Liberally. Don't let him ask in doubt. Don't let him play games with me. Don't let him ask out of one side of the mouth and then doubt me out of the other side of the mouth. Because that man will be crazy. Says that, doesn't it, right? Unstable in all his ways. And nobody digs crazy, right? Not you, Marie. You're not crazy. But you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I just asked, you know, is that your prayer? Today, tonight. Is that your prayer? To say, God, see, because it becomes about control. When I throw myself down on the altar and say, God, I come before you, oh, magnificent heavenly Father, the maker of heaven and earth. David screwed up a lot, but if you go back and you read the Psalms, he threw himself down at the mercy seat of God all the time. And when he did, God began to pour out. See, it's about, it's about getting rid of that thing that says, i got to control it. It allows you to be like, like what Pastor Pam said. Hey, give to the person behind you in line. Woo! Yeah! Praise God! If he says, hey, you need to go over here into this building. There's going to be somebody in that place, and they need to hear what you have to say. You're like, ha, ha! God send somebody else across their path. You're already there. <laughs> we pray too many times, God send somebody else. Maybe God's sending you. When you let go of control, there's, there's freedom in that. There's freedom to be able to let go. Because, but you have to know that he, he holds all the stuff. You got to know that he holds all the goods, that he holds all the wisdom, that, he, that he's got you in his hands, like the word says. You gotta know that he's not gonna let go. You gotta know that he's going to take care of you. Elizabeth and Rachel went up to Milwaukee a couple years ago. And when we go, we go places all the time. I'm the thinker in the group. And that's not, you know, I mean, I, that's just what I do. I, I, I'm the thinker of the group. I keep track of stuff. Like when we show up someplace and we need something, I, I've got that. They may not even show up there. You never know where they're going to be or what they're going to do. They just, in, they just enjoy it. And on the journey, if something else happens, they enjoy that too. And we may get there and they may not have shoes because Rachel gave them to somebody on the, on the street who didn't have any, but man, we're going to have fun. Meanwhile, I'm trying to figure out, how, okay, we've got to go buy her some shoes. You know, I'm, I, I'm not God by any means, but I kind of take care of them. And she had gone and taken Rachel to Milwaukee, and she, when she came home, she said, I missed you. I said, oh, baby, I miss you too. She goes, no, not like that. I was like, oh, kind of, kind of a bummer. Kind of glad you're home. She said, I missed the covering. I, I missed, I, I, had, I had to take the care. I had to worry about, like, where's my purse? 
Where's the hotel key? Where's the wallet? Where's, where's the directions? Where's, where? I, I, had to, I had to worry about all that because you weren't there. If you'll just let go of all that and trust God, then you don't have to worry about control anymore. Then you don't play games. Then you reach out in faith. And then you follow the light. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up and pray today. We hope this message encouraged you. Victor Christian Center is passionate about sharing the love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus. Learn more about us at victorylafayette.org. If you don't know Jesus or maybe you've gotten distracted and stopped following Him, I'd like to pray for you right now. The most important decision you'll ever make involves accepting the love of Jesus and His gift of new life. I'd invite you to make this prayer your own and take this opportunity to begin to follow Jesus. God, I ask you to reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. I ask you to forgive the sin in my life that has kept me from enjoying a relationship with you. Give me a fresh start by changing my life and helping me to follow you from this point forward. I accept your love through Jesus and I commit to trust your plan for my life. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you've prayed this prayer for the first time, please get in touch with us and let us know. To learn more about Victory or to contact us, visit us online at victorylafayette.org.